dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. And for this episode, a special guest, Jeff Lee Miller from the wordonthestreep.com blog. Uh, one of my, actually, I think my favorite Meryl blog website related uh, thing. So we're excited to have you here, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, cool. And how are you today, Meryl? I'm excellent. Happy Good. to be here talking to you guys. Today, this is, uh, I think, the second time that we've recorded during uh, Donald Trump impeachment hearings, you know. Oh. <laughs> Weird times. Strange, strange times. Our podcast has become quite a uh, quite a timestamp for anybody who discovers this like four years down the road, as I typically say, because the last episode was, I think, during the middle of the coup attempt. And now here we are. <laughs> He's impeached for the second time. Well, and if you had asked me 10 years ago if I would ever be um, publicly political, you know, like speaking on a podcast to thousands of people about my political views, I would be like, no. <laughs> now, like, let me tell you what I think about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's uh, our most frequent you know, veering off point, I think, is the political stuff. But let's not even bother today, I say. Let's yeah. just let's just we'll dive in. Pause. I think we're all on the same page. I have a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a feeling too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard uh, not to. It is. Say something at a certain point when it's, you know, things are as extreme as they are. Um, yeah. Almost yeah. like a moral duty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like the other side is quiet about it. So, you know, this, this idea that like sharing your political beliefs is some sort of like not acceptable thing to do, or, you know, I don't know. It is what it is, but yeah. let's see. Who's been watching something interesting? Uh, you know what? I have not been, I can't, <laughs> I can't call it interesting. Okay. But I have been watching something. So I meet half the requirement. I started watching Riviera. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. What is that? It is a TV show. I, I get it through Sundance, but I, I don't think they originally produced it. I think they picked it up, purchased it, but it's with Julia Stiles and the original season had Anthony LaPaglia, Lena Olin. It's a pretty decent cast set in the Riviera. It's sort of the, the umbrella premise is the art world is sort of the last wild, wild west in terms of regulation. And then they set up this very dr- melodramatic story about a family who launders their money through art, through the purchase and selling of, you know, high priced artworks. And I'm now into season three. They're pretty short seasons. It's pretty bad. <laughs> writing wise like there's a lot of really cool things they could delve into in terms of you know selling selling your soul essentially to quote protect your family like there's a lot of themes they could have dug into they don't um they they change plot lines on a whim they kill people off and then don't really and then they linger for no good reason it's just a very it's a very strange show but it is beautiful to watch 
lots of beautiful locations and beautiful artwork and beautiful people and beautiful clothes. So, you know, if you're looking for some bad melodrama set in the Riviera, watch Riviera. I've not heard. Oh, Juliet Stevenson. Okay. This is a pretty. Yeah, she's good. in one season. Lena Olin's in two. No, nobody, nobody sticks around for very long. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking um, when you said a TV show with Julia Stiles, because I knew she was, she had been doing a show called Blue, it looks like. And I have heard of that. I've never heard of this one. Interesting. Jeff, are you familiar with this at all? Not at all. Yeah. No, I haven't heard of it. So is it, I mean, is it good? Is it worth? <laughs> well, listen, I'm in season three. Like it has kept me watching i am at a point now they added rupert graves who i love for season Mm -hmm. three and he's like sorely misused and underused which i find happens a lot with him and you know storylines they could have continued with they didn't they just have some development issues so i'm about to like check out i I liked season one, season two, it was like, eh, season three, I'm like, I'm trying, but come on now, folks. So I don't know if they're going to renew it again. I'd be surprised. Is it, are you the type, do you have to finish a book once you've started it, or can you let it go? No? No, I will let it go. If I was three seasons in, though, I, I would be hard pressed not to keep going. I would need to, like, just ride it out. I, I'll probably finish this season, and then if it comes back, I probably won't watch it anymore. Okay. Julia Stiles seems like somebody who like, she's, she's good. I don't know why she hasn't like got a project that's been, you know, worthy in the last few years. I think she's good. I can't think of anything she's been in after Silver Linings Playbook. I know. I can't either. That's the last time I remember seeing her. She was in Hustler last year, wasn't she? Hustlers, the Jennifer Lopez. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She She was the the interviewer, Mm -hmm. the journalist. Mm -hmm. And I know she's in the, um, uh, the born the born series right I don't, I don't know the last one she was in though i think she was in the most recent one i think she was okay. in jason if i remember because i think i mean spoiler alert for anybody who watches that series i think she dies in this one. Oh yeah I but remember. um she did a she did a season of dexter i guess that was probably a while ago now dexter doesn't seem that long ago but i guess it kind of it was. was now. yeah crazy yeah. but she did a season on that um yeah yeah, yeah, I don't know what exactly has happened to her, but you know, she's obviously she's been doing stuff like Riviera that we just haven't yeah. been. But well, yeah. Jeff, what have you been watching lately? I've watched a lot of the films that are kind of in the hunt for for awards. Of course, the award season it's been it's been nice, and I, I I don't know for sure the extent to which like I know a lot of these these movies have I think kind of moved more to streaming platforms because of COVID or been mm-hmm. delayed. Um, so you know that's a whole other hour I'm sure you could talk about um, good or bad being in theaters or not but with that I I really liked recently I saw um, Sound of Metal I liked that a lot um, with Riz Ahmed um, mm-hmm. and um, Paul Racy uh, I liked First Cow quite a bit I did not like Hillbilly Elegy very much shocking a lot of people don't um, Pieces of a Woman I saw on Netflix last week when it came out with, what did um, you think of that? I haven't watched it yet. It's in my queue. I'm yeah, it's need it, to carve out time. It's 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 a wonderfully acted movie. I think um, it's not the kind of movie you watch a lot, <laughs> like more than once <laughs> or twice probably. But um, it's just because it's just it's just difficult to to yeah. experience that with people. They're not 
<laughs> they're not going through a good time. Um, mm -hmm. But it's intense. It's powerful. And it's um, it'll be interesting to see where Vanessa Kirby kind of lands in a lot of these. Um, she's getting obviously really good, really good reviews for it. And um, I think yeah. I'm not I'm not super duper familiar with um, the extent of the of the controversy with Shia LaBeouf and his mm -hmm. like, the allegations against him. But I can't imagine that helps the films. Although I think it's been really popular on Netflix from what I've seen. So. Yeah, it seems to be hanging out in the top 10 for the most part. Yeah, I haven't been able to uh, to get myself there to watch it. It seems like it's kind of, uh, what is the Darren Aronofsky one? Uh, Requiem for a Dream. It seems like kind of in that territory. Really everything he's ever done territory. <laughs> yeah, if you can get past the first like 15 minutes, you probably can make it because um, it's, it's pretty, pretty intense. Um, but it's, I, I like movies that kind of, that make you kind of think either either side could be right, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. it's it's interesting. I th I've been curious how, how the Shia LaBeouf issue would impact the film. I think they got really lucky in, in well, not lucky, because the way they marketed it worked well, because he is not the focus you know it really it the film i have not seen the film but it appears to truly be about vanessa kirby's experience with the loss of her child during the home birth and the aftermath of that um and so i think that probably works in their favor he's in it quite a bit yeah um I, and i don't know how they've been marketing necessarily but yeah I, I haven't read much that about his i mean i think he does a really nice job as far as the acting um, yeah but yeah you can you can understand why that depending on when that came out or what they what they uh plan that they're going to focus that around kirby and and ellen burston too who is very yeah. very good she has one one kind of big scene sort of oscar -y scene if you will Mm -hmm. I think is going to get some attention too. She's definitely in there in the likely to be nominated uh, supporting actress. Yeah. I think that that seems to be the most up for grabs category. It seems like actually supporting actor too. It seems like lead actor and actress is going to be one of two. Like in lead actress, it's either going to be Frances McDormand or Viola Davis, and for lead actor, it's either going to be Chadwick Boseman or Anthony Hopkins. It seems like a lot can happen between now and then. Yeah, but agreed. But the supporting actor and actress seem like it could be any number of people, including Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. We we've talked a couple of times on here about, you know, as big fans of her, too, it, it would kind of be a shame to have her finally win her Oscar for this. Because, like, you do want her to win an Oscar, but I don't think it should be for this. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's the best thing in the film for me. Mm -hmm. I think Amy Adams is fine, too. I Just some of the some of the dialogue and some of the just depictions of the son. And I was just surprised, like, I can't believe they let him say that. And, you know, just, it was just, I just thought it was so almost distracting. And I agree that Glenn, I think that Glenn Close is really good, but I completely agree that I want her to win an Oscar too. And I was sad she didn't win for the wife, even though I loved Olivia Coleman in favorite, love, love, loved her and that. But I want Glenn Close to get something. And I keep hoping that they end up making Sunset Boulevard and it's good. And maybe she'll <laughs> win for yeah, that. Right. Oh, yeah. I would it would be amazing if she won for Sunset Boulevard, yes. right? I yes. mean, it's so hers. Yes, 
I mean, even more than Albert Knobs, that's been the thing that like has been driving her at least since 94, whenever she, 93, whenever that like really kicked off for her. In the recent, in the more recent revival, I went to New York specifically to see her in that, you know, I mean, like it was like, what is, what are the chances this is ever going to happen again? You know, I was too young the first time around and, you know, just to see her play that role on stage just seemed like, yeah, this is the time to do that. Cause you just, when, when is this going to happen again? You know? Yeah. yeah, I hope they do. I, I did see an interview with her recently where she was talking about, I know she's filming something else right now, but it, she's, you know, kind of like, I hope we make it, you know, I hope we get to do it. I hope we do it before I die kind of attitude. I don't know. It's kind of out of her hands, it seems like. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, I'm a fan of of actors playing, being, being able to play roles that are, you know, if I, if I can believe them in the role, I don't care if they're 20 years too old for it or so. So, you know, if, but but at a certain point, like, I wonder if Glenn would even want to do it if she's 80, you know, right. um, what is she like 73 or four now? Yeah. Um, and you know, I think, I think in films, they often just do that anyway. And they can, they can make the the main guy, what's his name, Joe, Joe um, yeah. they can make him maybe they can, they can push it up 15 years, you know? Yeah. 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 Although, yeah, I mean, it does, there are still things that, yeah i mean let's just hope it gets made sooner rather than later for <laughs> reasons but yeah so are do you have any out of the ones that you've seen any favorites this year or any performances that you're kind of like hoping will be big awards players i really liked i don't even know if i'm saying his name right riz or riz ahmed um mm-hmm. i thought he was really really good and paul racy in um the same movie i thought i was I kind of mentioned like the, the, um, have you guys seen that by the way? No, but yeah. we were just okay. talking about the last episode. That's getting a lot. Yeah, of I would, I, I think it's a great, great movie. And it, and I kind of, how I kind of mentioned, like I, I enjoy, <clears throat> excuse me, stories where you, you kind of, you're not sure where you, where you, where you stand, you know, as far as things they sort of depict and I'm not, I don't want to give away the plot, but I think everyone knows that he's, he's going deaf and, and he, goes to a place where where he learns to be deaf you know and to participate in the world about being able to hear and just the kind of juxtaposition between the idea that i i I want so badly to be able to hear again and what people who can't hear maybe never been able to hear kind of think about themselves and how they kind of take that when someone is just like i just gotta get out of this life of not being able to hear um and so, like, I think you, know, you, you can't help but if you're a person who has the ability to hear, like, well, me too. Like, I'd, I can't imagine, my goodness, if I all of a sudden couldn't. But then when they have the, part- the, the, the people who live in this place, kind of, you're, you see their lives. And then particularly with, with Paul, Paul Racy's um, character, you, you get a different perspective. That's just like, oh, gosh, now I kind of feel yeah. bad, you know? And I, so it's, it's just a... It's kind of like the best of what movies do for me. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I mean, it's getting rave reviews. Yeah. That's on Amazon Prime, I think. Yeah. Yes. Check that one out sooner rather than later. Cool. Yeah, Anybody- I just actually put it in my queue yesterday. I'm excited to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else that you're pulling for this year or any movies that you're feeling strongly about one way or another? I'd love a Foyla Davis one for Ma Rainey. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I I haven't seen Nomadland. I'm looking forward to it. But from the kind of the buzz, it sounds like probably the only thing that would prevent um, Frances McDormand from winning is the fact that she's won one twice and kind of recently too. I, I've seen Ma Rainey and there's some talk about her being 
like her, her role is too short. Like it's not a huge role, but you know, it's, I think a, a non-factor. I think she's got plenty and it's, it's kind of a, a meaty part, so to speak. It's, it's another, I mean, I, I, I realize it's a, it's an adaptation of, of a play obviously, but, but it's, she was a real person too, you know? So it's, it's kind of like, oh, here we go. Another, another biopic of a singer, you know, I'm going to get, we just had, you know, Renee Zellberger and um, Malik and who else won recently uh, a woman for lead that was, was there another one recently that? Well, Marion Cotillard for Edith Piaf. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even like this year, like Andra Day is, is um, yeah. yeah, Andra Day is, is, is um, kind of in sort of the nature of, of Ma Rainey. I think it's, even, even though it's, it's, it's kind of one of those roles again. Um, I'd like to see Viola Davis win in lead this year. Me too. Yeah. yeah. She's glorious. Well, she hasn't won for lead. She won for supporting. And I mentioned this, we mm-hmm. had this exact conversation, I think a couple episodes ago, but here's another thing with Frances McDormand. She's, she's already got two in lead. And I think she's going to be in the conversation again next year because she's already got in the can Macbeth with opposite Denzel Washington. She played Lady Macbeth. That film is done. It's not like, you know, at, directed by Joel Cohen. I mean, like, she's going to be up for it yet again next year. You know what I mean? Like, it, Yeah, I mean, all... she she produces a lot of stuff, I think, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, and her her husband is a, I think, casts her a lot in the, yeah. his films. So that's, that's good for her, too. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, let's see. So let's let's start you know, by talking about word on the street. So what led you to start this blog? Do you prefer to think of it as a blog or a website? A blog, I think. I I call it a blog. The first post I ever did, so it's coming up on 10 years that I've done it. um, I've been a huge Merrill fan since 2003. It was like winter break. I was, was my first year of grad school. And I've always been a huge fan of like film and 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 watched the Oscars since I was a child and but I I had never watched any really thing from of Meryl Streep but you kind of just hear that she's she's like the, the greatest actor and and I'm like what's the big deal you know I think I'd I think I'd seen like Death Becomes Her and I didn't remember that it was her I think um <laughs> which maybe is a testament to her <laughs> her <laughs> skills um and I, maybe something else too but I really just can't remember like what she it wasn't, it just wasn't the kind of movies I watched. Right. So I had, I had some time off on winter break and I just back, this is, you know, dating me, but like I went to Blockbuster and rented like five <laughs> Meryl Street movies, like probably two. I think I rented like once I looked online, like what's what she really known for? Like, this is, she's a good actress for, and mm-hmm. it was Sophie's choice. And so I watched it. And I, and I remember thinking, I can't believe someone can do that. Like I, I knew that she was American. And I looked her up and that she's like from New Jersey. I was like, I, I can't believe, I was just amazed at the, at the, it was like magic. You know, I've heard other people say that too. And so I, I just ended up watching a bunch of movies that winter break. And I was like, holy cow, she is, she's just a variety. And like her ability to, to convince me that she's a, these different people, you know, you kind of forget, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not, you know, not the first person to describe it that way, you know, but it's just, it, it, that's how I experienced it. And so I, I've enjoyed her a lot since then, and I've followed her career pretty closely since then. And my my husband, he was my boyfriend at the time. He's quite adept at a lot of technical things, computer wise, that I am not. And he just suggested you should just do a blog. I don't know how to do a blog, um, but he showed me, and I kind of put it together and just started writing about what I was thinking. So it was. 
I think I wrote that it was meant to be sort of a, uh, a compulsion for my obsession, which it's <laughs> definitely been. Nice. Well, and it's a very active web, you know, it's a very active blog. You've got nice, you know, back and forth with your regular readers, it seems like in comment sections and things like that. It seems like there's, um, you know, it's a good place to go for breaking news. I mean, I, I went to your website the other day and found out that Babylon had been pushed back, you know, the movie that mm -hmm. you may be doing with Brad Pitt and Emma Stone, although it seems like Emma Stone's now probably out of it. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, I didn't hear that from somewhere else. I heard that from, from your website. Yeah, and I, I just said, I kind of have a rule for myself to not go a week without posting, you know, mm -hmm. just to kind of keep myself on it. So if there's not really news about Merrill, I, I do something else, like a film review or, oh, you can kind of see if you're on the website, you can kind of see tags at the top that that um, categorize different things. And this recasting project certainly is one of those and that I had a little more time with at the start of quarantine. I think that's sort of what that was born out of. Um, right. But I've been thinking, I've been thinking about it for a while, based on a, a different, a different kind of project I'd done about Merrill years ago. No, we have to talk about your tax because they're glorious. Like any, any information that you could possibly want on Merrill, you can find on your blog, and those tags are beautiful. Because I'm, I mean, rather than having to search the internet for, say, a list of all of her Oscar nominations, I can just go to your blog. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've thought about that, and I actually, like, there are certain things I know that I don't have, like, even, like, where I, like, if I wanted to, I mean, not anymore, because probably I just haven't memorized at this point, but, like, I, I don't have just, like, a tag of just her total, her whole filmography, you know, I, I, I actually have some links on it for, like, Simply Streep is a great, it's kind of the Meryl website that's got everything, pretty much, um, the, the now, now defunct Meryl Streep forum that used to be, that was, had a lot of info, but, yeah, so my I think over the years it sort of developed into like I, I do find myself sometimes like referencing my whole I'll go to my own blog like I don't remember this but I know I wrote about it so I can kind of go and find it there but um, but if I really wanted to like look at look at a lot of the, like her her filmography or certain things I I usually just go to IMDb or um, Wikipedia. Yeah, there's great great stuff here accents mastered uh academy award analysis reimagined filmography which is kind of similar to the thing that we're going to talk about now the shoulda coulda wouldas the snubs all that kind of thing um but we're going to kind of focus today on uh the series that you do and it looks like you posted one today in fact a recasting series uh you mm -hmm. can you tell us about that kind of the, just the genesis of, of that yeah it, it really came from uh, I think it was 2014 where I, I posted, it was pretty long. Like I had done, um, it wasn't like a, a week by week thing. It was just, I, I think it had been four or five sections where I kind of wrote about um, that period, like late eighties, early nineties, where she kind of started not doing Meryl Streep like movies. Um, like She Devil and um, even though Death Becomes her is kind of a cult classic at this point, uh, Defending Your Life, House of the Spirit, just kind of some few stinkers in there you know mm -hmm. and compared to like the the crazy good canon of films she did and performances she did maybe unmatched for a decade in the 80s um, mm -hmm. like from 79 89 and I was it was curious about like about those those specific years and researching a bit on what she was close and you guys do this a little bit you talk about this in your your podcast about what she's maybe she actually didn't do that she was close to doing or had been rumored to do or or was in talks to do 
were dropped out of. Um, and so I kind of this reimagined filmography of, well, what if she actually had done Thelma and Louise and Remains of the Day and Evita, a couple other ones around that time. And I find myself kind of doing that for her whole filmography. And I, I just kind of have that compartmentalized need in my, my brain to probably have a blog too, to kind of get it on something tangibly, you know, decided. And I was kind of thinking about all these, trying to fit in all these different movies for her filmography that I wanted her to be. And I'm just like, this is just getting too cluttered in a way. So why don't you just kind of be cool with like what the general kind of arc of her career was with in your mind, the, the, the variations in regard to some of those other years. And then just make sort of a pick each year and pick something that you didn't think she was ever considered for. And that's what this recasting thing is where it, for the most part, there's gonna be a couple that she was either in talks for um, or was rumored for, but for the most part, they were not roles that she was ever really associated with. So that's been part of the fun too. Yeah, like for example, you know, 1985, she she lobbied really hard for the Patsy Cline Sweet Dreams. You don't go with that one, the low hanging fruit, you went with Agnes of God. Interesting, you know, because there's more interesting stuff there probably to talk about. Yeah, and, and and because I sort of include sweet dreams in my reimagined filmography, just because it was like if that that would have been a one that it was realistic. I think for Meryl to have, that she she almost plays. She could have played, you know, if she had just gotten the part. Um, you know, she wanted that. We knew her her interest in that character was there. She just she's been on record saying that's one of the few she actually was just told no, you don't right. you don't get to play this part. Um, so I kind of left that alone and chose something that. Who knows if Meryl would have ever thought to do this or anyone thought of her to do these. That's that's more the, the I, Agnes of God is one I probably wrote the most on in a specific post because I have liked that movie a lot since I was a kid. Yeah, it's interesting. Meryl, did you? Ha I wanted to kind of go through a couple of these that I just thought were interesting picks. Yeah. What would you say before we kind of choose some of our own? What would you say if you had to choose one or two that you think is like the most outside the box kind of pick that you've made? What is like a very unexpected choice, do you think? Possibly Fried Green Tomatoes, mm. where she she has Kathy Bates's part. Also, I think American Gigolo, um, she was actually offered that role and said no because she didn't like the tone of the film apparently. Um, so that's that's actually one of the, the interesting things that I've been enjoying about the recasting project is just like, you know, Meryl probably would have been a little bit, she, she actually does quite a few sort of safe parts, you know, mm -hmm. like even though she likes, she, has, she likes difficult movies, you know, or makes you kind of think, but like not, not super like super duper edgy or controversial characters necessarily, you know, or um, un too many unseemly characters, maybe unlikable, but not like, like Requiem for, the, for a Dream that I posted today. I, I just, I'd love to see her play that role, but I, I would have been shocked if she had been in it, you know? Right. One that struck me was the Rose. You know, she would have been playing oh, yeah. essentially Janice Joplin. Like that's not her voice type really, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, it's interesting you mentioned that because I thought a lot about that. I, I had the hardest time finding that movie, to watch that movie. I think I had to like, I didn't know where I got the DVD from, but I, cause I couldn't, I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, but I, yeah, I, I sort of hesitated about that 
And the, the reason I, I ended up picking is because I know Meryl can sing. She can sing well. And, you know, having seen what she's done in Ricky in the Flash and knowing that like the, the vocals in the rows are like breakneck, pyrotechnic, challenging, rangy vocals. Yeah. Meryl actually has a really, really high and light voice. I think she's, I think she's probably arrogance the wrong words. I think she's um confident enough to like to, to have if she had been in the running to like have let me see if I can try this. Let me see if I can make that kind of rock like so because she did sort of in Ricky and the Flash, you know. The, uh, the Rose is kind of the movie that I I wish Ricky and the Flash was more like the Rose, to mm-hmm. tell you the truth. Ricky and the Flash is not one of my favorite performances, or it's a good performance. It's a strong performance from Meryl. Not one of my favorite Meryl movies. And it's a movie that I really wanted to be good because like I'd been waiting a long, I'm a, you know, that's what I do. I'm a singer songwriter. And so like seeing her behind a guitar singing, you know, a bunch of like bar band, Tom Petty and whatever covers, that sounds like a great movie to me. And the fact that this bogged down with really this not very good script and a bunch of shit we don't really need when all we really want is like to listen to her sing these mediocre bar band songs. I would have loved just watching that. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good assessment. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it just was on paper that seemed like it was me so awesome. You know? yep. <laughs> um, and I still I still enjoy the movie and parts of it, but I agree there's, yeah, it's just not a, not a, not a great script. And yeah. like the the whole the whole like her here's a tangent like told the whole you know I have a shrine to my brother who was in Vietnam and and just never really quite bought the sort of conservative um, bent necessarily it just I I like that idea like I like Meryl like playing someone who just who thinks Obama's the Antichrist you know it's interesting because um, it's not her obviously but it just didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Meryl, do you have uh, do you have any looking through the recasting that jump out at you for one reason or another? There were two that I like I got really excited about. One was Copycat. Oh I literally watched yes. I watched that movie yesterday and prep for this. Did you had so you ever long. seen it before? I had, but it had been so long. I'm glad you brought that one up because that's one I wanted to talk about too. So, so, so good. That movie left an impression with me. I saw it when I was pretty young. <laughs> um, and Dangerous Liaisons. Like, yeah. I, I don't, the, neither of those are reaches. Like, they could have easily, easily cast her and she would have, like, sailed through both of those. But I just love the idea of her in both of those films. Have you watched Copycat within the last year or two? No, but I've seen it many times. So I don't know, but it's been a while. It's It's got that mid-90s cheese. On <laughs> right? <it. laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It is. We were talking recently about, um, what's the one with Ashley Judd we were talking about? Oh, um, d- Double, uh, Je- Double Jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The like mid 90s that speak of like power decade you know Meryl's career but man mid 90s to like 2005 there were so many uh ridiculous thrillers that came out I mean like so so many of these were made it was just like endless I think think Ashley Judd's in 50% of them yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. And they all they all have nails. You have what? Like oh, ones with spider in it. I can't remember. <laughs> one of the things that I think is interesting, I actually have this one pulled up because I was going to bring that one up too. Uh, you you said in here that Sigourney Weaver has commented that she is most proud of her work in this film. Is that true of like all her work or is that just, I mean, like of all her movies, I would think gorillas in the mist or, you know, alien for God's sake, you know, but this movie really. Not yeah. I, I, I think I pulled that up from like the trivia on, on um, IMDb where, you know, obviously it was after gorillas in the mist. So she commented on that, you know, I take her word for it. I mean, I talking about the talking about the um, kind of the silly silly uh, thrillers. You know, I I think I wrote in the the post for a copycat. I just love that movie, but that it sort of got felt like it was too bad. It kind of got felt like it got lost in the shuffle. You know, being those same year as Seven, which I think mm-hmm. I say is I I prefer that movie, but I was I was a little surprised that it didn't didn't strike more of a chord with people. But yeah, I I don't remember the. A source for the Sigourney comment besides the the trivia IMDb, IMDb. I feel like it's a rare instance where Sigourney Weaver is truly vulnerable. Sure, you know, and that that could play a part in it. I don't know. The other the other one for her, if either of you are looking, I think I've brought this one up on our podcast too. Is Map of the World, which um, she made with Julianne Moore really vulnerable movie for Sigourney Weaver. Uh, you, like really, that's one that in her filmography, that's one that I think is like what we're talking about here too. Super hidden gem, incredible performance that should have been up for awards stuff. And I just think nobody saw the movie. It was too small. You know, it was kind of, it, I think that was like 99 when Miramax and, you know, a, a lot of independence independent movies were kind of making it, but it hadn't fully gone the way it is now where like, you know, you can kind of get on a streaming platform and maybe there's a way for a lot of people to see your movie anyway. Um, you know, back then it was a little different, I think, but um, yeah. What about, what did you want to say about uh, Dangerous Liaisons? Well, I have not seen that in a while, but I got to tell you the combo of Glenn Close and John Malkovich, I, I like, they are so unlikable together that I, I, I struggle with that movie. And I don't go back to it very often because of it. I, I think I think Glenn Close is brilliant. I love her. I just feel like Meryl Streep would have brought a different dynamic to that. Maybe a little, I don't want to say more nuanced. No insults to Glenn. She's glorious. <laughs> but just different. It just would have been different. Well, well, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of Glenn Close fans will tell you that that's the movie they think Glenn Close should have won the Oscar for, The Dangerous Lady. Yeah, and if, if, you know, if only they had known Jodie Foster was going to win three years later, then Mm -hmm. they would have been like, of course we're going to give it to Glenn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although the accused, she's so good in the accused too, it's hard Mm -hmm. to, like, it's hard to begrudge them that one. Yeah. I'm so bad sometimes with just even writing about Meryl being in roles that other people were in too, you know, cause like some of them, I, I just like, I, I love these people in these roles and right. I don't mean like offense to the, the actors, you know, cause they all are fantastic. I just yeah. enjoy the prospect of imagining what Meryl right. would be, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Oh yeah. I say that every time we record, I'm a broken record and I'm like, I don't want to replace this person. I love this person, yeah. but. <laughs> well, ultimately, 
I think it's a compliment to whoever originally played that role because you're saying that person was so, I mean, like, I don't think there's, I don't think we've ever done one where we've been like, this person is bad in this movie and Meryl could have like saved this movie. We've never done that. Um, It's always been, this person was so good. It would be great. It's almost like living vicariously in a way, like I could have played this great role and, you know, I wanted to play that, you know. Speaking of the accused, Meryl as, as the attorney, the Kelly McGillis role, that would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you've managed to pick some of my like hidden gem favorite movies here too. Like Primary Colors is another great one. Mm-hmm. I love that movie so love, much. Love, love, love that movie. And another one that like that one was a modest success. You know, it wasn't like completely overlooked, but it just was kind of buried by a bunch of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And I like that you've got that packaged in between like two giant movies as good as it gets before it. And then right after it, American beauty, those were two huge movies, you know? And part of what I tried to do, which is, you know, I, it sounds so like clinical, <laughs> but it's just, it's just fun for me to think of it this way is I tried to make it where, cause if you, if you look at the very beginning, I chose a couple of supporting roles. So say I, I tried to think of it or I imagined it as a real career, you know? So right. I didn't, I didn't like choose, I don't think I did anyway, choose like things like two in a row that were really similar or something. Oh, she already did this really specifically or like this director five times in a row. Like I, 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 it was fun for me to think of it as really like a parallel career. And like, what if none of the ones she's done or none of the ones that I kind of pick in my brain for that reimagined filmography that she had been up for, but didn't get like sweet dreams and you know that, that kind of stuff. Could, could this have been like a, a plausible parallel career? You know, right. That's, that's been fun. <laughs> it is yeah. really fun. It's kind of like playing pretend. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm watching so many movies again, like some, some of these movies that I've chosen, I've never seen. I, you know, some of them for a lot of the movies and I'm going to be doing a supporting um, version too. When I finish the lead role recasting, nice. but some of the, like I said, some of these I've never seen. And so it, it's a, it's a bit of a mix as far as how I've chosen them. Some are just like, I love that movie. I want Marilyn to be, you know, I love that just sort of nostalgic for me, or I've never really seen this. I kind of researched like who was doing what at the time. And like, man, if she could have like the Rose, for example, I'd never even seen it. Um, and so I watch everything before I decide. Um, right. but then, and I do have the whole up through 2020 already chosen in my mind. I- I was going to ask how you actually choose. Do you just go through and look at like the big awards contenders and then go through other movies released that year? Or is it more straightforward? The awards contenders is a really easy start. Um, A lot of, a lot of, I'd say probably 50 to 60% of the ones that I've chosen thus far. And probably that if you'd see in the future that I choose, I've already had in my mind, maybe more than that, maybe more like 70%. And then, but yeah, if I'm unsure, I I kind of just look at like what was what what was in the what was in sort of the hunt for awards and Google's really helpful. You can you can just write like, you know, top movies of this year and like it gives you nine different categories and you just like scroll through like, oh, like so you just kind of forget like, oh my god, I love that movie. You right. know, I love that role. So just some of that I, I'm glad I've sort of done that because I probably would miss some things that I didn't realize I liked so much. Right. Yeah, when we we have a similar segment as we've talked about the uh, movies we wish Meryl was in, which uh, was 
originally something different when we started this podcast. It was the basically the missed opportunity ones or one she either turned down or the one or two movies that she was rejected for. It's basically Sweet Dreams and possibly King Kong and like one other Remains of the Day. Basically, those are like the three movies she probably got turned down for ever in her career. Uh, but, you know, we ran out of those or at least ones that we know that she auditioned for or was considered for. And then there are other ones like she's, uh, you know, if you look on certain websites, it's, it'll say that they they were going to include a role for her in a movie like The Firm, which yeah. doesn't have a role for her. They were going to write a role for her in that, you know, like kind of things like that, that you're like, I don't know how that would have worked. I don't know what that movie would have looked like because it would have been different. It's what I would ask Meryl if I could ever like chat with her is I won't tell anybody, but like take me through like ones that you just really, really wanted, but like it just didn't work out. Right. Or, or hey, did you ever read the script for, you know, this or that? Because I just, I, I also just enjoy the, the idea of like what, what kind of goes through her mind I mean, as far as what she gets attracted to about a character the most, you know, I don't, she doesn't like me really talking about that because I think it kind of feels like it sort of ruins the process for her or just the, the work itself, I think, but that'd be fascinating. Yeah. No, she has a kind of let the work speak for itself type and don't over explain or yeah. talk about the process much for sure. Yeah. No, I love this series. I think this is so cool. And I love the idea that you're doing like one per year and are really sticking to that. When we do it, I basically just like, I, it's always spur of the moment and I'm like oh I forgot to do this so I'm just going to look up Susan Sarandon's career and like pick out something from hers or Jessica Lang or you know some somebody else who's like a contemporary of hers and choose like the prime you know meat from that their artistic high point and really this is a more interesting way of like going through year by year and just looking at everything that was made and go you know what that and, and like you say maybe even something you haven't seen before and exploring it. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Nice. Any of any of these other ones you wanted to talk about, Meryl? You want to talk about Crimes of the Heart, <clears throat> consider your history with it? Crimes of the Heart. Oh, gosh. Crimes, Crimes of the Heart was my, what, what were they called? That senior was project. Like, it was my senior project for college. I don't, <laughs> it was several of our senior project. Yeah. So that one's, that one's near and dear to me. Well, and that would have been an interesting one just for the people that she would have been working with too, you yeah. know? That's definitely yeah. one of my factors too is, is and I, I think especially I would do the supporting one is who who we get to see her play off of, you know? I, yeah. I would love to see Marilyn in a movie with Jessica Lange. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's the thing is like, you know, women don't really get to work with each other, I think, very often, you know? Mm -mm. At least contemporary, you know, unless you're playing someone's mother for Meryl's age, you know? Um, right but like not not too many where you're that's why I let them all talk was so fantastic you know just you know, oh good um, <laughs> but yeah who with whom she would get uh get to work with on screen too is a big yeah big um so it's a few few things and I yeah yeah no I'm with you I think just the Lang is probably you know if you could if I could put her with uh, one person that she has not yet worked with. I think it would be Jessica Lang. Sigourney Weaver would actually probably be up there in the top five too. Yeah. Uh, I just thought of somebody else. Oh, Daniel Day-Lewis would be like, you know, an obvious one too. Totally. That'd be great. But I, I did a post a while back. I think one of my shoulda, coulda, wouldas would be Meryl and Jessica Lang playing Edith Windsor and her spouse, the woman who 
won the Supreme Court case about um, the Defense of Marriage Act, I think. So nice. Oh, that would be so good. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was way back when we like the first episode I think we ever did she had Meryl had some projects that were rumored at the time one of which was and it obviously has not come to pass and I think it is probably a good thing in this case although it was so kind of out there that it was at least interesting and nowadays uh, you know this was actually even before Ryan Murphy was Ryan Murphy and you know like I think he could actually maybe do a TV adaptation of this and maybe it would be interesting and would work. But do you remember that she was, a, she was rumored to be involved with Sissy Spacek in uh, whatever happened to baby Jane, they were going to yeah. do a re- like a remake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think, I think that people have, have kind of confused sometimes that and feud, yeah. you know, which feud feud was originally just a, a film script. It might've been on the blacklist. I don't remember, but it was a film script, but yes, yeah, separately, there was there was talk about them doing a you know, like you said a remake of actually what happened to Baby Jane. So I I remember thinking how cool would it be if Meryl did the Joan Crawford part in Feud and then the Betty Davis part in the remake like back to back years you know yeah only Meryl could do that only Meryl could do that only <laughs> yep yep I like the idea with of her with Sissy Spacek too actually that's yeah that's a, a tough but. Yeah. Anyway. Well, cool. Well, let's direct people to there. So www.wordonthestreet.com. Check it all out, but, you know, spend some time with the recasting part of it because I think it's just fascinating and so much fun. I'm going to look forward to the, they typically come out on Wednesdays, right? Like once a week. I, there's no rhyme or reason. The only <laughs> the only thing is um, I, I don't ever let myself go longer than a week without posting. I don't work on Wednesdays. I think that just happens to be a kind of sure. an easy day for those to be posted, but there's no rhyme or reason. Like, if, okay. like la- last night, I think I posted because there's something about the, um, about like a clip from, from Don't Look Up that came out that you know, I try to get that in pretty quick. Oh yeah, I'm excited yeah. for that one. Yeah. Very interested, let's see. Incredible cast. Well, a week, yeah. I could talk all day about this. I mean, like I really could do an entire episode just on this, but we actually all did invest a little bit of time in watching a movie called The Prairie Home Companion. So let's talk okay. about it a little bit because this movie is a little bit bonkers. It'd been a while <laughs> since I saw it and wow. Yeah, um, and, and the, the lens at which we watch it through now. Yeah. Sheds light on the whole thing, does it not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we usually start with a synopsis. Meryl, you want to bring us home? Sure. Prairie, Prairie Home Companion is film directed by Robert Altman, and it's written by Garrison Keeler, who is the longtime writer and host of the famous rodeo radio program, <laughs> A Prairie Home Companion, after which the film is named. And the film captures sort of a behind the scenes look of the last or final performance of a Prairie Home Companion because the radio network has been sold by the family that owned it and they're going to tear down the theater. This is obviously all fictional. Sadly, Prairie Home Companion did in fact come to an end about 10 years later when Garrison Keillor was wrapped up in a sex abuse sex abuse allegations and NPR cut ties with him. So um, I, I would say that it's very similar to Robert Altman's other films. It's very observational. There's no sort of discernible plot beyond that sort of overarching, this is the final night. I will say that Virginia Madsen plays an angel of death <laughs> wandering through backstage. And then it also captures, you know, famous bits from the actual radio show 
um, including a longstanding character Garrison Keillor developed called Guy Noir, played by Kevin Klein in the film, typically voiced by Garrison Keillor on the radio. Am I leaving anything out? I think that kind of captures it. That was really good. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> that was way more articulate than I could have been about it. This it's such a it's such a strange uh, flowing. I mean, not in a bad way, but it's just like there. Robert Altman. It was such a reminder of like how unique Robert Altman was, and how like yeah. just nobody makes movies like he does. And this one obviously has its moment. It's got an absolutely bonkers cast. I mean, like it's just stacked. This cast. Yeah. I don't. I mean, this this took less than a month to film. I read several reviews where basically they're like, "How in the world did they get these?" all of these stars in one movie, you know, all in the same place, because it really is like that stack of a cast. But I think part of it was just the fact that it was like a short, short filming schedule and probably just everybody knew it was probably Robert Altman's last movie or at least one of his last movies. And so it was the chance, you know, if you were gonna go for it. So anyway, Jeff, what did, what did you think of Prairie Home Companion? What, what is your experience with it? I assume you've watched it before, but. Yeah, I rewatched it very recently just cause I hadn't seen it, I think since the theater um, oh, wow. when it came out. So I've been, that's, you know, over 15 years. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Merrill's, Merrill's summary of it was is pretty good. And he kind of said sort of bonkers, maybe about, that, about the cast, I forget, but totally agree. I think the the reason that everyone sort of assembled to do this is because it was, I mean, it was, it, ended, it did end up being Robert Altman's last film. And to the point where they couldn't even, they weren't even able to film to ensure him unless they, Paul Thomas Anderson actually had to be there as a backup in case to, to resume the, the production in case Robert Altman was un, unable to, to continue. So that's, that's, uh, that's how I, I um, consider Meryl having been some, somewhat directed or in a Robert, um, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Right. Um, I mean, how do you convince Paul Thomas? I mean, I guess it's the Robert Altman thing. And he was totally. I think, relatively newly married to Maya Rudolph and she was pregnant in real life with their child. So I guess there are reasons for it. But I mean, like, he's somebody who is so specific about what he does too, that like being this backup on this movie is is in itself kind of bonkers, you know? I haven't read too much in into it, or I'm sure there's more information that we could find on that, but I, I suspect it's sort of just like a, maybe he, you know, just like a mentorship thing. Like I, I just really look up to Robert Robert Altman and his, his style and anything, anything I can do to be, to participate in this. And of course I'll come and, even if I do just do nothing but wait, you know, I'll, I'll do it, which I suspect, like, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is in it for like five minutes, right? you know, um, and I think it's just yeah. a testament, like you said, to the quality of the director and his legacy. Mm -hmm. Meryl, what's your, uh, what's your experience with this movie? I know you've seen it before. You know, I remember liking it when I saw it back when it came out in 2006. Yeah. And I love, I love Robert Altman. I mean, sometimes it's hit or miss, but Goss Gosford Park and MASH oh. in particular are two of my all-time favorites. They're just, they're amazing. And I, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his style. I also, um, I love Company. That's a, that's one of my favorites as well um, about the Joffrey Ballet in Chicago. So I like the style of it. I think now, now knowing what happened with Garrison Keillor and knowing that he wrote the script I felt like I was watching a Woody Allen film where all of his demons are actually coming out in the writing themselves. <laughs> and, and we're getting sort of a subconscious window into that. And so 
I, there were a few things that like made me smile and laugh. Most of it made me cringe because there was, there was just, there was just, there was constant, constant little like sexualized comments and jokes that just were so inappropriate. And we just look at things through a different lens now. So I can't, I can't really say I enjoyed this watch. It's also not my favorite Meryl performance as much as I love her. I, and this could be me projecting because of my own discomfort. I felt that she was a little uncomfortable <laughs> in it. I can't, I can't be sure about that by any means, but yeah, so it's a mixed bag for me. Some of it I love, like the joke about their sister getting put in prison for not paying for a glazed donut. That that entire scene is probably my favorite, but, and I love the style of the music. But yeah, the whole thing made me uncomfortable. I, I, think, I think one of the things that, I mean, it's, it's this really odd mix of two very different things. It's Robert Altman, film royalty. You know, I mean, like you listed your, your favorite ones. If I had to for him, I mean, Nashville, Shortcuts, Three Women, you know, like, though, like, but that's the thing is we all have different movies of his, like even the player, um, you know, there are other ones of his too, uh, that like are just revered and are just so unique and so fascinating and so wonderful. And then there's Prairie Home Companion, which is this old timey radio show that has such a, you know, Robert Altman is an acquired taste, doesn't, doesn't appeal to everybody by any stretch. Then you have a Prairie Home Companion, which is very much not going to appeal to everybody, too. And so, like, what are the chances that this group also likes this thing, too? You know, like, it's such, there's such specific audiences. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. And I really, it's just a product of its time, too. Because I'm, I'm the person that loves, that loves both, right? I love the style of music. I love the style of humor of Prairie Home Companion. I love Robert Altman films. Like, all things should come together. It's just a different time in, in terms of, of what we, like, you know, what we know. And it just, um, it really colored it for me in a, in a bad way. And I couldn't, I couldn't really get past it. Well, and see, the thing is like, I mean, again, like this as a singer songwriter, like, you know, uh, this is, these are my people. I know people who are in this movie singing. I've sung with some of those people. You know what I mean? Like I know those people. And the thing is like, there's that side of things, which is great. And you know what? I'll listen to Meryl Streep and Lily Tomlin sing duets all fucking day long. I love that. But the problem is then we have this whole like film noir thing and this angel of death that's so kooky and so unusual. And so as, as much as I kind of like really like both of them so much as actors, the whole Woody Harrelson, John C. Riley thing was also really strange to me because there was like nothing there except for these like ridiculous jokes. And I didn't understand the like the purpose of that they served really and the narrative except like other people on the show. Um, honestly, my favorite besides Meryl and Lily was probably Maya Rudolph, like as the like kind of exasperated stage manager. Yeah, she was amazing. <laughs> Jeff, what did you think? I, I agree a lot with what, what Meryl said about you know, kind of looking at it through a different lens being years past it. But there's a particular scene where where Meryl is sort of being sort of touchy and flirty with Garrison Keillor and he kind of like, like I think she got I think she kind of like kisses on the, on the lips and and he it, I mean, he's not an actor, I don't think, really, you know, and and I might be reading into it because it's just again different lens, but he kind of backs away and he's kind of like it's like he's just like sizing her up and like looks at her her backside and just kind of and then with just the 
like you said, Zach, about with John C. Riley and Woody Harrelson, that some of the things are kind of, they're irreverent and funny to some degree. And, you know, a lot of it's very sexist, I suppose, with um, their mm -hmm. jokes. It just kind of goes on so long. Right. You know, that that section. Um, but aside from that, I, I love, I grew up in a, I mean, I grew up in Minnesota. I've lived here all my life and I grew up in a pretty rural area. So I kind of, I, I grew up with that sort of, like a lot of country sort of acoustic sort of music. And I love just, I love sort of so much, it's all live and it's these tight harmonies. It's just, it's just, it's lovely singing. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you. It's the, the music in it really is great. I mean, mm -hmm. and it, that, it, like you say, it was all recorded live. It was like, none mm -hmm. of it is faked. Yeah. I don't know. So I want to point out one thing. I don't know why this intrigues me. And this is another IMDb trivia thing that could be completely false. Sometimes I don't trust any of that stuff. But the Virginia Madsen Angel of Death character was originally going to be played by Michelle Pfeiffer. I've read that too. And there's a scheduling conflict. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Why not? Right. I mean, if she, she probably was a fan of Altman too. And I mean, I, I, I wonder how many people are like, Oh God, what a great role. Like it, it, I don't think it was about that too much for this film. It was just about being part of the ensemble and who would, you know, who they're being directed by. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I Meryl's Meryl's you know, It's definitely not my favorite Meryl role too, but, um, and I'm usually such a huge fan of her, her accents you know i love that she does them i love that she tries to like, capture people's voices because i think it really captures character um and I, like i said i grew up in minnesota and maybe people can hear some of that in my voice but i remember specifically when fargo came out the movie and i remember asking my mom like why are they talking like that like i, I had just from the previews i was like why are they talking like that i don't understand like they're supposed to be minnesota i don't understand they sound so weird Growing up in Minnesota, I didn't understand like a lot of us sound like that. And so Meryl sounds really like that, but she's supposed to be from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Like she grew up, they say, and I don't know, like it's, isn't that kind of like Eastern Wisconsin? Like I know it's like, yeah. sort of the Midwest, but do people from Oshkosh sound like that? I think it's a rare misfire on the accents from Meryl. Yeah. I think Lily Tomlin actually nails it better. And I want... I mean, you're probably right. And I, I wonder if Meryl, like, I wonder if it was like, if she purposely chose to sound like a, what people think that who watch movies that Minnesotans sound like, because the show, you know, Paracle Man is so Minnesotan, even though she didn't, her character didn't grow up there. Right. So Meryl, this Meryl, Meryl yeah. McNabb and I, we met going to college in Appleton, which is literally 10 minutes from Oshkosh. Okay. Yeah. And so very familiar with that area. And I did watch uh, an interview with Meryl where she was talking about how, you know, mastering this accent was a thing. However, her mother-in-law is from Holton, Wisconsin, which I think is Madison area. So close enough. I mean, Madison is, you know, within an hour or so of, of Oshkosh. Yeah, I think it's exaggerated for sure. And it, it's much more a kind of stereotypical northern Minnesota accent to me than a stereotypical northern Wisconsin accent, I think. Yeah, almost like yeah. Iron Rangey, Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she apparently got some coaching from her mother-in-law hmm. or whatever that's worth. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And then there's, uh, I mean, this is this whole thing is this juxtaposition, which again, this is very Robert altman -y, but this 
it's kind of two things at once again in the like last show of this long running radio show and his kind of refusal to address that and just talk about it and own that. He's just going to kind of like let it go without saying anything. And it's also this like kind of meditation on death in a way, you know, like the whole thing, this meditation on death. Um, I don't know. It's, it's again, kind of like this odd and kind of, it kind of works. I mean, it's interesting at least. I like those two things being kind of at odds with each other, but there's, there's a lot of that going on with this movie where there's kind of multiple angles. And I think this is again, back to my original point. I think this movie is made for such a specific target audience that I just, I'm surprised it got made to tell you the truth with this many incredible stars. And this is really why I feel like I'm watching a Woody Allen film is because I, I feel like we are getting a window into Garrison Keillor's <laughs> demon. I mean, there's some really heavy duty religious grappling going on in this film with like, yeah, meditations on death, but also a lot of sort of unconsciously sexist and harassment-like content. I mean, listen, Virginia Madsen's playing the angel of death and Kevin Klein randomly asks her what it would feel like to have sex. I, and you're like, what? And she's like, I would feel love. And I'm like, ew, get out of here. I don't need this. <laughs> I mean, there's so much of that in this film where you're like, oh, that happened. <laughs> when, when Meryl Streep is putting on her top and like buxoming up her boobs and like staring longingly at Garrison Keillor. And I'm like, no woman ever did this. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) But it's such a good thing though, that I think how, how weird it seems to us now. Yes. Comforting in some ways. Yeah. Like just totally. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know how that would get made like that now or or i mean it's got it's got good reviews in general you know i haven't read right. a lot of them but i don't i don't even know if any of them sort of touch on no if any, any piece of negative touches on those nuances at all yeah and that wasn't no. that long ago you know no and i tell you when i saw it the first time i didn't notice yeah me neither. i it just was didn't the, speak that language like this was mind. common yep and yeah so it does, it does bring me some comfort to know that we've come this far in terms of yeah. how we in, view things. In the same way that if you watch an episode of Friends or oh. Seinfeld through that lens, oh. it's different now. And, you know, yeah. like you can, you can still see this thing for what it was, but those were the big deals at the time. And this, I mean, this wasn't a huge big deal movie, but I mean, you know, this was, yeah. this was a language everybody spoke for the most part. Do you guys have favorite scenes? I love the duets with, with Lily. I mean, anytime Meryl's on screen, I think this is really interesting to watch. I mean, I'm kind of with you on the accent thing. It was a little bit distracting in a way that I don't think I've ever found an accent mm-hmm. with her to be distracting. Um, I also don't think she completely missed the mark on it either. It's not like it's so yeah. crazy. It's just like a little bit. I think we all are collectively regionally kind of focused on it. It probably, if you're from, you know, one of the coasts, it probably reads very much as like this part of the country, you know? So, um, but I think anytime she and Lily Tomlin are singing, I really like it. I mean, they have such an interesting mix of voices too. One of the uh, reviews 
that I think it was, we do a segment here, Jeff, where I read a one-star review just because they tend to be kind of funny. It'll be like somebody raging against something ridiculous. And actually for this movie, there are a lot of one-star reviews. It's interesting because there are a lot of really positive critic reviews. And then there's a lot of people who really did not like this movie. Um, and one of the reviews was like, oh, Meryl Streep is, is such a great singer and Lily Tomlin's okay. And I mean, it's kind of true. Like Lily Tomlin doesn't have a like trained singing voice from the sounds of it, but like the blend that they have together mm-hmm. totally works for me. Those are my favorite parts too, particularly the, the song about their mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's touching yeah. and it just sounds good. And I read that Lily Tomlin had just lost her mom like shortly before filming too. So it's just lovely that part yeah. they sound really good together yeah what about you meryl oh i love the music too it's fantastic and red river valley is one of my favorite songs <laughs> i love it but i really i love their dressing room scenes i just think their dynamic and their ease with one another as sisters and the way they finish each other's sentences is so fantastic and truly i i said this earlier in the podcast though but that story about their sister wanda it's Rhonda, Yolanda, and Wanda, and Wanda went to jail for not paying for a donut at the diner, and their dad saw it on TV and had a heart attack and crawled in the hospital bed with their mother and died. She was getting her tubes tied. That's her. I mean, I was laughing out loud. I was. I just love, I love that scene. We we haven't even mentioned that Lily, uh, Lindsay Lohan is also in this movie. <laughs> okay. It's Meryl's daughter. Yeah. You know what? She's totally fine. Yeah, she does not. I mean, it's totally fine. And it actually made me really sad. It's pre plastic surgery. And she's young. And it's just like, oh, so much potential there. And just real quick, have you guys seen when Meryl was on um, Andy Cohen and doing like the I'm gonna name somebody and just you say the first thing that comes to your head and like she gets all these stars and like he names Lindsay Lohan and Meryl's like, Oh, oh, I pray for Lindsay. It's just like, yeah, that's what I think about too. Like just yeah. I don't know where she is now, but you know, shortly after that film was kind of like everything I heard about just a very troubled person. So Right. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, she she really is somebody who at that point too, because that was probably coming right off of Mean Girls. Like we mm-hmm. we all saw the potential there, you know. How sad. But um I I read too that she really lobbied to do this movie and that there was that role wasn't even really written. It basically because she was such, you know, was such a big deal at the time and was like really kind of forcing her way into this thing, which again, very smart from her perspective. It's like, she had these couple of years where she was like doing everything right. And then it kind of all went off the rails. I, I did see, I think somebody I know maybe posted on, on Facebook that they got one, but I think like you can get, you know, those cameo things where you can get a celebrity to like give you a personal message for 300 oh, yeah. bucks or something. I think she's on that, you know? And I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I know there are some great artists who are on that thing but i think when you're at that level where you're willing to like make a cell phone video for somebody for three hundred dollars like things have not really gone the way they could for you you know no and i feel like it's so far beyond her control too you know like so so much of it was like clearly her parents played a massive role (laughs) in the mess very very young yeah yeah well and Meryl even commented on that. I watched a couple of interviews, you know, just YouTube things when she was promoting this. And she said something about that. She said, you know, she seems like there's a lot of people living off of her. 
And for Meryl to say something like that, especially short, you know, like when she was in the promo part of a movie, she probably saw some things that really made her go, this is not okay. Because she doesn't really talk out of school about people very much. No. Almost like I was directed to Lindsay's parents, you know? Yeah. yeah. I do want to point out, because Jeff, you live in Minneapolis, I live in St. Paul. It was really cool. I mean, this is something, Meryl, you see movies all the time, you know, New York, like landmarks that you recognize, but like seeing <laughs> that diner, you know, that the, the movie starts and ends in, you know, that's a very well-known local spot. Yeah. yeah. It, it, like all of these locations, mostly the Fitzgerald Theater, it doesn't, you know, but I mean, I know that when they when they walk out of that, I can't remember who walks out. I think it's Kevin Klein. He doesn't he get in a car with Virginia Madsen at the end and they start driving away. I know that church that's right there. You know what I mean? Like everything, everything in there. And that's kind of cool. I mean, just even being in the Fitzgerald, I've played on that stage before, you know, like just being, seeing that too in a movie is really fun. Yeah. Not super common for us Minnesotans. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, though, I was a an extra in this movie. Really, really. In the in the uh, in the theater in the audience, like, I was I was living in Maplewood at the time, which is kind of a suburb of St. Paul. And a friend of mine actually, I didn't even know that they were filming there, and she brought to my attention, and we figured out how to get to the place where they could just you could show up and you know wait in line, and you sat in this room for a long time, and I had no idea if Meryl would be there or not. Um, and of course she wasn't because apparently someone told me that she worked only on Tuesdays was her contract and it was like a Thursday, <laughs> but we, we got to go into the theater, sit in the theater. We walked past Kevin Klein and John C. Riley and Woody Harrelson. And the scenes that I probably about 15 takes of was, was the scene of, I think her name is Geraldine Steele, Geraldine yeah. Steele, where she was singing about black coffee. Yeah. Like, oh, so good. Which is strange when I rewatched the movie recently because in that scene, Meryl's like walking in the background and there she wasn't there when I when I was when I was there. So I, I don't they obviously refilmed that when Meryl was there a different day because that was the only thing I saw was like 15 takes of her singing that little jingle. And then um, we had to clap like this. <laughs> you can't hear, we're just, we're just like putting my hands close together. Um, Cause we're, we weren't supposed to make any sound. So that was kind of cool. I got to do it, but I was sad Meryl wasn't there. Yeah. That is a bummer. Great story. I, I, I'm glad we picked this movie then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else have uh, anything else they want to say about this movie before we dive in? I mean, it's fine. It's pr like, it feels very middle of the pack in her movies to me. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Meryl, you know, do you have it placed anywhere in a list? I haven't ranked it. I will. I keep promising every time I record. <laughs> I'm like, I'll rank that one of these days. And I'm like five movies behind. <laughs> I apologize, everyone. I have not ranked it. Um, I did. I put in the performances. I have it at 26. We're, we're now in, uh, this is our 44th movie. So I have a 26 out of 44 right now. It's in between. So it's the Prom at 25, A Prairie Home Companion at 26, and Ironweed at 27, which is like okay. a really strange three you know like very diverse almost exactly the same spot it was 26 for performances i have a 27 overall for film we have different lists for 
performances in film because we found it a little hard to decide between the two. So we just decided to do them separately. Um, on IMDb, this has a 6.7 out of 10, which is again, middle of the road uh, for, for her movies. There are a lot above, there's quite a few below. It is tied in that spot with Mary Poppins Returns, Mamma Mia 2 and Mamma Mia 2. So those three movies are the only two, the only three in her filmography uh, with a 6.7 on IMDb. And then just the, the last things uh, about this is uh, we always talk about the budget and box office. The budget was estimated at 10 million, which I don't understand how they got all these people involved for 10 million. And box office was about 26 million. So did fine, but not a gigantic hit by any stretch. I'm impressed with that budget. It's got to be Robert Altman. <laughs> Everyone's like, we are on board for free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, Sunshine Cleaning, the movie I worked on, costs more than that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's crazy. It's it's interesting, too, because you said that she was only working on Tuesdays or her contract. I wonder if she actually stayed here or, like, if she was only working one day, I right. bet she was back, you know? I, I believe that, yeah. Like, it, you fly in Monday night or even Tuesday, you work and you go back. And if it's for only for a month, maybe she just filmed on four or five days you know i can't yeah like you said I, I, these people probably didn't get paid nearly what they normally do for films like this even if they're all small roles but people do that sometimes i think with yeah certain real films and again i think people people could kind of see the writing on the wall that robert altman was not well yeah yeah they say he, he basically directed from a wheelchair although you know at that season's oscars meryl and lily pre presented him with like one of those honorary awards which you can find on youtube there they i remember when that happened because i think at that time uh they were saying like these two need to host next year like these mm. two are really great <laughs> together and you need to let them host next year but he seemed very with it like he walked out you know to get the award and he seemed very to be in like control of all his faculties for sure and i think he died like two months after that like it was not long after he got that um, award that he was gone so yeah but then there are other things too with meryl like uh I, i'm a big fan jeff i'm sure you'll be familiar with this establishment there's a very well-known pizza place here called punch pizza in the twin cities and meryl apparently fell in love with this place and for a while had punch pizzas like shipped out to her every once in a while wow that was the rumor, you know, and same thing like when they made that movie North Country here a few years after, or maybe that was even before that with Charlize Theron and Francis McDormand, there was the same thing, like, like they fell in love with Punch Pizza too. So like, you know, little stories like that that you hear around town every once in a while. But um, anyway, uh, should I read a one-star review? Yeah, do it. Mm -hmm. um, all right, there are, there are a lot of these. I, I'm kind of... <laughs> random i usually try to pick one uh that like references meryl's performance in some way there's a bunch that really kind of trash Lindsay lohan so um i'll this one at least mentions meryl uh it's the title of this is nothing happens mld in tennessee is the author and it was written in 2007 all right here we go the only way to get so many A-list actors in such a horrible film is by having a famous director whom I think has done some good movies, but also some very boring ones. And this was one of the very boring ones. The film shows the, the behind the scenes of a radio show. Most of the show is country and gospel music. So you know this is going to be a weird film when you see Lily Tomlin and Meryl Streep singing country. And then we have to listen to Lindsay Lohan attempt to sing. <laughs> Nothing to write home about. 
Final verdict, a movie without a story equals a terrible film. This was one of the most boring films I've ever seen. Do not watch this. So they kind of do have this theme of like being very boring. That seems to be like the, the big complaint. Um, it's, it's a lot of people who seem to like, for the most part, a Prairie Home Companion. And were like, I thought it was going to be kind of like the show and not some weird behind the scenes, like false thing so and a lot of really going after Lindsay Lohan I, don't I know. can I can see how the audience for a prairie home companion would be a little confused by this film <laughs> I, I can see that this makes sense to me yeah um uh, nobody spells Lily Tomlin's name right in reviews it's always got like five L's for some reason. It's not a hard name to spell right. I don't know if it's uh, going. No, it's not. Yeah. Well, um, so we realized last time that we did not say who our six degrees person was. And uh, so we're not going to play the game today. We're going to tell you who we're going to do next time, which is Vince Vaughn. Uh, not the most inspired pick that I made, but he just happened to be, you know, in a movie that I was looking at at the time. And there we go. Um, and we spent some time earlier talking about movies we wish Meryl was in. So we're counting that as that segment today. So thanks so much for joining us, Jeff. It was so much fun to talk to you about all this. My pleasure. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you guys. Uh, uh, check word on the street.com. Give it a visit. Give it a like. Is it possible to give it a like? I don't think so <laughs> no okay just give it a visit <laughs> yeah you can visit you just, can comment tell me what you think about Meryl yeah yeah be active and engaged Meryl you and I have not talked about what our next uh well actually we have talked about we do know what our next movie is going to be don't we yes we you are in bridges of yeah bridges of Madison County mm. which I is know, right? one of the, it's one of the few like big ones that we have left at this point. We've covered most of the big ones. I think Bridges of Madison County is one of the few remaining big ones. Yeah. That's a great one. And such a great point in her career too, you know, kind of kind of coming off, kind of getting back to Merrill, I feel, with that. We yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and listening and uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks, Jeff. Cool. Bye everybody. That's all. <laughs>